You can't change people's working habits over such a long period of time and expect that you can change that mindset back. You're listening to The Prime Pod. I'm your host, Robert McLean. I last interviewed Claire Shields for The Prime almost exactly a year ago, which was roughly a year after CBRE named her MD in Prague. This time, I didn't have a precise agenda of topics prepared, well, except for an intentionally technical one on valuations, but I was curious to hear how she'd gotten on, and what she made of what's beginning to look like the end of this chapter of the pandemic. Because when the Czech Republic went into lockdown back in March 2020, Shields had been on the job for all of two weeks. But to listen to her talk, you realize that there were certain advantages baked into this inconvenience, like having a free hand to make necessary changes and having eyes wide open to a situation in flux. Is everything the same or, is, or has everything changed? Everything's changed. Everything, the way, the way we occupy our office space, the way we work, the way we meet people. Like suddenly we're on Zoom meeting people for the first time. And there's, you know, even in terms of my diary, like last week um, I had like a full diary and then suddenly everyone got COVID on my diary. So now this week's horrendous. You know, everything, you can't, you can't plan anything. You literally cannot plan anything. You can't function normally. I would honestly say that everything has changed in that sense and people's perception of their work-life balance, what's important to them, their family, what they can do in and around work has changed. And I think that I don't know how we change it back or even if we want to change it back. Probably we don't even want to change it back to the old ways. But for certain, everything has changed. I guess I want to focus a bit on, on offices in that way. Everything has changed. You're seeing with your own eyes what it's like to try and get a team to come back into the office. Uh, You're seeing what it's like to try and uh, get tenants to commit to buildings, to to make decisions on where they want to go, maybe to go to new buildings. You're seeing the challenges it takes for developers that have properties they want to fill and they're looking for for pre-leases. I think we agree that the office is not dead. No. But if everything has changed, that has to have an impact on how these decisions are made and how much space people are going to are going to need it just seems like everything's up in the air to a certain extent yeah it's still and it's crazy to think that after two years because it's now two years next month after two years it's still completely up in the air that we still don't really know um, who's coming back to the office five days a week and who's not. And and even to do the rotors with our teams is really tough, you know. And we still have people, you know, we had the mass sweep of COVID through our office where we had like, you know, 60% of our employees basically getting COVID. I mean, we're, we're absolutely uncertain who will be coming back five days a week and who will be coming back working from the office two days a week. But what I see What I am certain about is that not everyone will be coming back five days a week. That's absolutely the case. You you can't change people's working habits over such a long period of time and expect that you can change that mindset back. Um, And and actually, 
I think we can retain staff by not changing that. The, you know, it's really hard to keep staff. We know that there's, you know, unemployment rate is actually falling in, in the whole market. So we have to focus on that. So it's also in to an extent employees are in charge of that because, you know, they have a new mindset and we have to appreciate it. And it's gone way beyond what millennials had in terms of their work-life balance. Um, and it has affected all generations. So I think... What I see in our CBRE office here, we created the library zone for people to come back and have quiet work. Does it work? I would say if people want to work quietly at home because the kids are back in school now, they will work from home and they will work from peace and quiet where they just completely focus. Does the co-working zone work? Yes, the co-working zone works because when people come to the office, they want to catch up. Our meeting rooms are fully booked pretty much all the time now because that's why people are coming in is to meet the clients. So they're coming in for a specific purpose. It's not like they're just always coming in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're coming in for specific purposes. And that's why the rotor system can't even work right now. So it is a bit of a nightmare for managers. Um, and you have to be an excellent manager now. Well, I wanted to ask about that. I mean, how does how does the concept of leadership change in such a in such an agile environment, both from you but also from your sort of top managers? They have there are different skills involved in checking checking your watch to make sure the person is in by nine o'clock and dealing with the team remotely. I mean, the level of trust is through the roof. I mean, if you and and it's hard for employees as well because you know you have the employees who. Um, I think, feel that they have to be constantly on call because if they don't pick up that phone, then there's a there's a part of them that thinks that the manager will assume they're not working or they're skiving or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you have this constant um, on both sides that the manager wants everything that they had before where they could just walk over and find someone and have a quick conversation. So they want that person to pick up the phone and you have the employee who's feeling the pressure that they have to be constantly working. So that level of trust has got to be established, which is fine if you've worked in the company for you know a period of time and the trust is already there, but it's with the new starters. I mean, how do you gain that trust And then how do you get to know your team? How do you get to know your manager? How do you build a relationship? How do you build a bond? You know, and and so for for leaders, they've got to have excellent communication skills and they have to find different ways to communicate, which appeals to everyone. It's not just viruses, after all, that pass from person to person in the workplace. Gigabytes of information filter naturally through an organization when everyone is there every day. And it's not just information. Newcomers take in and adapt to corporate culture by interacting with their colleagues, but also by watching and overhearing them. This culture is also maintained by the same three-dimensional process. All of this is lost when we see our colleagues just as small images on a one-dimensional laptop screen and only by appointment. Shields describes a multi-pronged approach to the problem. Even for myself, you know, I have to have everything from a written newsletter because some people like reading about things that are going on. I have to have videos. Then I have to do, you know, uh, some meetings which are, you know, in person. So I now try and get around every single team meeting, 
every quarter. So I go to every single small team meeting so people get a chance to see me personally and to have open dialogue with me. And then I have to do these mass videos and, you know, so you're using skills. I mean, I'm not someone who is used to talking on a camera and, you know, it's it's a really weird way. I mean, you just need totally different skills from the skills you did before, honestly, as a leader now. One of those skills is figuring out how your team is performing since you have so much less information to go on. It's not just about numbers, after all. A talented manager can sniff the air, have a few seemingly random conversations, and suddenly diagnose a problem before it gets serious. And it's hard for the strategy of a company. I mean, you normally, you have constant discussions, you see, you see with your own eyes the motivation in people or or the drive, and you see it in their teams, um, and you go to client meetings with them, you know, so you feel how they're performing. But right now, my performance level is mainly based on the quarterly results or monthly results and how they're performing, which does create a problem for a business because you're also, you know, very much here and now assessing and it's very much reactive rather than, you know, actually seeing how things are going and quickly changing things, you know. So it's it's even hard in terms of the strategy of the business and and you can't be everywhere. Um, and when people aren't people aren't here and you can't have quick conversations and observe, then it's, yeah, it's really, it's a hard place to manage a big company. Last year was a, was a very strange sort of year. There was, in one way, there was no real pressure, I think, on companies to produce really strong results because, because well, COVID was sort of the, the go-to for, uh, for everything. This year, it does look like we're moving into definitely a different, a different sort of phase. And I'm, I'm thinking that even between uh, the agencies that there's going to be, this is going to be a serious year and there's going to be a sort of very serious competition. How are you feeling it at the moment? <laughs> look, the pressure is on. We had an amazing year actually in 2021. Um, I don't know if that was because, uh, definitely I know that with 2020, it was it was incredibly difficult. So um, we we looked at how we approach everyone and we ramped up. And I think we saw the benefit of that in 2021. And then we had a really, really busy year. I feel 2022 is going to take on a new league of its own. The pressure is definitely there. COVID for us, or the feeling is that COVID is coming to an end by spring. So already... Uh, we can see that clients are making decisions on their portfolios um, and and so we're still in a small market and the competition is still huge. So the reality is, is that, you know, everyone's still fighting for everything. And I think that competition is only going to increase um, in a still product starved market. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an incredibly busy year and we have to be on our on our own game. What is the function of valuations in times of profound market disbalances? Oh, that's an interesting question. This is because I'm an ex-valuer, right? Correct. <laughs> Lovely. Um, no, so, I mean, it's absolutely vital. It's also extremely difficult. Um, you know, we have... Uh, so, I guess part of my question, is it even possible? Well, of in course. The in the same way, can they be taken the same way as they were sort of in 2019? What's what's the shift been and where are we right now? I think the valuers have learned to go into a lot more detail. And that's definitely the positive outcome of COVID that, you know, questions 
have been asked and are allowed to be asked because it's so difficult to understand what's going on with a tenant. For example, the debt that they're currently facing or the debt history. It's definitely more easy now to be a valuer in 2022 because there were there were transactions in 2021. So we have benchmarks um, in, in check for all asset classes. Um, so we have something which is at least positive. Um, but I do think they they have learned to be more more okay with asking questions and and really forcing the clients to respond and and go into more detail. Um, but it's just like any recession, you know, it's it's also incredibly difficult. We can't make the market. We have to follow the market. So you're constantly having these discussions with clients over, well, we've had offers on this. So we think you should be able to push those values. But we haven't seen those transactions happen. And we can't we can't make the market. That's not our job. Also with the valuers, I think, you know, they have to also get their head around ESG mm-hmm. and, and how they incorporate that into the valuations, even just in terms of the discussion on it. So there's a whole new wave for valuers, I think. They've got a lot on their plate yeah, right now. That's coming, which, um, yeah, I'm glad I'm not a valuer right now, <laughs> if I'm honest. I don't envy the team, really don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, sticking with offices, but a bit on the same topic, the office isn't dead, but the ground has shifted. We only know how much impact uh, this will all have on, on the building's value once we've been through an entire set of rent cycles and an mm-hmm. entire cycle of new developments coming online. Because it's strange that for now, it seems like it's almost like the default is that, well, there hasn't been a huge change in the value of them. But it seems impossible saying that, in fact, we won't find that values have also changed. Well, in, I think in it, terms of their ability to make money, essentially. Yeah, but I think what you're forgetting, especially with the valuations, is that the valuations is the valuation is done at a point in time. So with all of the new leases that are going on, if we look at the headline rents, the headline rents are still strong. We're not seeing any drop in them. We actually expect the headline rent to go up. What's underneath that, of course, is all the rent-free and all the incentives coming off. But if you're valuing a point in time and say the rent-freeze have just expired, then suddenly you're valuing based on the rent-free for the next maybe five or seven years. So I think in terms of the values of office buildings, if you're valuing them right now and you've got a new office building, you've got new leases, there might be huge incentives coming off. But those headlines are still there and that will still secure the value of the office buildings for the future. And don't forget, there's limited development. So the competition and the vacancy is not going to be increasing um, because there is limited development on our market. That is a really strong buffer in terms of prices not moving very fast in in any way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If we had huge development pipeline and huge projects under construction, we might be having a different discussion. Or a functional planning system. (laughs) Or a functional planning system. I don't get into politics. I hadn't worn shields, I'd be pulling out valuation questions, but she's obviously more than capable of protecting herself. But it gets at what's really one of my central questions about coming to grips with the past two years. If everything has changed, working patterns, lifestyle habits, shopping, then why are the prices for almost everything almost the same as before? As Shields points out, this is ultimately not a question for valuers, since their job is not predictive. I get the feeling that the pandemic has been hard on valuers, so I'll be returning to the question sooner rather than later in future episodes of The Prime Pod.